Jack Frost nipping at your nose. We, Gilded Films, are live from Kansas. We're not together because it is snowing outside. So we're doing this on what you would call a Google Hangout. Hello, as always, it's me, Christian. And here, as always, is Brett. Mm-hmm. Also joining us today is KB. Hello, my friends. Hello. Help us out today. Very so, special episode. What I the heck are we doing? Or two. What are we talking about today? Yes, what are we talking about today? We are talking about, because it is 2019, the year of 2018 is over. It's a good year for movies, obviously. We're going to be talking about each of our top 10 lists of the year. Mm-hmm. Something that I'm really, really excited about because I've never done this. I've done this with myself, talking to myself like a crazy person. And I get to talk about it with two other people. Yeah, so we can all slam each other for what we have on our list. No. Oh, uh, <laughs> believe me, I, I'm ready. I, I, right. think, I think this is not the year for that because um, there are so many good movies and so many great performances and everything that... I think there's a lot of similarities and if there aren't, it's because like somebody didn't see it or we just didn't agree on where it stood in our top 10, but I don't see anybody slamming anybody. But no, I don't either. I don't tell. Um, I, yeah, I mean, there were like a lot of films that I wanted so bad to put in my top 10. And I think in another year they would be on my top 10. Mm-hmm. Um, they just didn't fit in in a really crowded year, um, which really, is both great and unfortunate, but I was looking through and we're all in letterbox um, rate films, whatnot. This is since I've started doing letterbox in like 2014, 15, this is undoubtedly the most highly rated year for me. Um, it's a lot of good movies out there. I finally got to see like, for me, like 90% of what I actually wanted to see. Mm-hmm. I think there's only two or three things that I didn't get to. Yeah. I got about five that I'm still, uh, needing to see and I'm sure we'll talk about a few of them as we go along yeah for sure definitely well so I think the way we're going to do this is we're going to start off with the ones that we kind of compared our list to see what similarities we had uh, so we'll start off with the films that only appeared on one of our respective lists we have five of them here so Christian would you like to start us off with your pick Yes, I would. My practically perfect in every way pick. It is Mary Poppins Returns. Mm. Very delightful. Very delightful indeed. Says the man who didn't see it. I saw it last night. Wow. Hot twist. Yep. Mm -hmm. Well, he he never texts me back. So how am I supposed to know these things? (laughs) Okay. So why is it on your list? Why? Well, obviously I'm like a huge Mary Poppins fan. I was waiting for this all year. Did not watch a single trailer. I just watched the Super Bowl ad trailer, which is coming out of the sky. I think it was probably my most anticipated, as I've told you, Brett, Mm -hmm. um, way back when. When it finally came out, I actually got to see it in advanced screening. KB was also there. Yep, yep. Um, Some issues of me almost not getting in there was happening. It was a really (laughs) shitty day. And then we watched it, and I cried, and Mary Poppins made it all better. I think it is a very worthwhile sequel to Mary Poppins. Yeah. I, and uh, literally that's all I feel like I could say. Like it, it for me 
brought a lot of joy, as Mary Poppins should. The songs were good, even if they were pretty much mere images of what the 64 version has. Mm. Emily Blunt was good. I mean, well, Miranda was, he was decent. He was doing his Dick Van Dyke Cockney accent. But you know what? I can forgive him. He's Lynn. Yeah. I, um, yeah. I thought it was good. It was, uh, what I've been saying about it is, it's sugary good. Mm -hmm. And um, for something that's going to be a remake after all these decades, it was very solid. Um, my regret was there was not enough Emily Blunt as Mary Poppins. So there were a lot of scenes where it's almost like she had nothing to do. Mm -hmm. And almost every scene where there was like a musical act or something happening was Lynn Manuel. So it was like almost like his movie more than Emily Blunt. And I was like, but I want more Mary Poppins. But it, it definitely was good and just didn't make my top 10. Yeah. I thought, you know, it's just a, like I mentioned before, it's, it's a delightful movie. It's one you just go and enjoy watching. It made uh, me really happy on a day that was really bad. Yeah, yeah. it is. It is the type of movie that makes you really happy. Um, for me, like it started and I was like, okay, this is cool. It's going somewhere. But then when Emily Blunt finally appears on screen, it's just like, she just blows me away in that first scene as Mary because she does yep. it so well. Um, but I agree, KB, especially towards the ends, like when everything is coming to a climax, mm -hmm. I was like, where's Mary at? You know, I mean, obviously she has a part and she's playing a role. Um, but, but isn't that the whole point of Mary Poppins? She comes, she influences people. And then it's like their story and she's just standing to make sure everything goes smoothly. And then she sails away. I just yeah. wanted more of her. That yeah, I think I definitely see that as well because it, it is about the family more than it is about Mary. Um, I just, with Blunt being as good as she is and being the most fun person to watch on screen. Did uh, you guys like the songs? I did. I, I really liked, uh, what's it called, Where the Lost Things Go. Mm -hmm. um, that was probably my favorite. Because I know on film Twitter a lot of people, their big criticism is it's like, I won't remember these songs. And I'm like, okay, watch me sing half these songs already because I've memorized them. Have you seen it again, Christian, since uh, the, the night of the screener? Yes, I saw it in theaters uh, the day it came out, actually. Yeah. I think if I was to see it again, um, the songs would be more memorable to me. But that night, I was just so busy taking everything in because there is so much to take in the costume, mm -hmm. this, that, the other. So... Yeah, yeah it, was, it, it was it was held, it held up very well on a second round. And I will say that there were kids in the audience because they had the day off for Christmas vacation already. Like I say with really any animated movie nowadays because they're really smart. And I know this isn't animated, but it's geared towards families. Right. It's a little too much for little kids. Mm -hmm. Considering it really is. considering it's 2 hours 15 plus if you go to like an AMC where there's 20 minutes of commercials, the kids were getting rowdy already like halfway through it and they were dropping their popcorn buckets. And I was like, y'all need to shut up. And like how much of the movie, I don't think this is the fault of the movie. It's just the way it is. How much is spent talking about the financial aspects that the family yeah. do that kids aren't just aren't going to get. Yeah, yeah. But that's all right. But it's on my list and that's how I roll. Cool. I like movies that make me feel good. Nice. That's awesome. So did the next one make you feel good? That's my question. Oh my gosh, I'm like back on this list already. Yeah. Wow. Look how creative my list is. Yes, is. this this is a yeah. 
Jane Fonda in Five Acts, which is, it wasn't really released theatrically, I don't think here. It might've been in Los Angeles, but it was on HBO when I saw it. It's literally Jane Fonda talking about her life for two hours. And some people will be like, oh, who cares? That's something for me because immediately after I started reading her biography, her biography is one of the best biographies I've ever read. She's such a detailed woman. She knows she's a controversial woman because of her Vietnam stuff that she did. Um, she embraces it. She apologizes for it constantly. She'll take it to her grave. I've seen the interviews. And Jane Fonda in Five Acts is literally, I think it for me, one of the better documentaries that I saw last year and maybe one of the best documentaries that I've seen. Cool. And I know you guys can't support me because nobody saw it but me. No, but um, it sounds good. I'm looking forward to seeing it. It is. And it is pretty much an adaptation of her memoir, which mm -hmm. came out in 2006. So it's like, it's a 10-year-old memoir story. But yeah. at least she's in it and she's telling it from her perspective. It's not other people really saying yeah. it. Mm -hmm. And I think the biggest thing that I got from it was how she felt about both of her parents she has, of course, her famous father, Henry Fonda. Um, she talks about their sort of up and down relationship. And she talks about her mother and how through that, both her memoir and the documentary, she can move on from her mother's suicide, how she, she could forgive her. It's really, I think it's just in-depth as hell. Is that where you got the On Golden Pond story? Yes. She has okay. a great on Golden Pond story that makes you want to watch on Golden Pond like right well, after. Don't don't tell it. Let no, let I will Listeners go and see it. Yes, yeah. it's, it's a, a story. Plus, on Golden Pond is good. Podcast. Yeah. Plus, on Golden Pond is like really good as it is. So, yeah. true that. Yeah, that's yeah, another. It it's another one that made me feel good, and you can find it. I'm pretty sure on HBO Go, most likely. So, so is it like her? It's it's like her entire life up to that point. Pretty much, yeah. Because it, it even shows little details of Grace and Frankie, like her reading scripts through that with Lily Tomlin. So it goes from her birth to pretty much present. Nice. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you. Um, KB, your time to shine begins. You've got the next one that was only on your list. Okay. Uh, um, that would be Annihilation. Uh, a lot of times, especially like after October, it's hard to remember movies that really blew you away from the first half of the year. And for me, Annihilation was one of those. Um, in this day where movies are recycled and we have same plots and same storylines and you kind of know what's going to happen before it happens, the, the one that comes to mind is that movie Life. I was like, oh, this is like aliens all over again. It very and, much is. Yeah, and it was really refreshing to see a science fiction story that was original and kept my interest and have a bear that had a better performance than the one in The Revenant. Damn. <laughs> you know it's true. You know it's true. So um, it was just a great performance. Um, I think it reminded me a little bit of Arrival as far as having that fresh science fiction appeal. And I, I think as I watch more and more movies, especially as we get toward the end of the year, each year, I need to remember the ones from the first half of the year that still blew me away. Mm -hmm. So Annihilation is that. Yeah, and this was, um, I was excited for this one because it was directed by Alex Garland who did Ex Machina. 
mm-hmm. uh, for which they won a visual effects Oscar. And really, in my opinion, Annihilation does have the best visual effects of the year. Yeah, and uh, because they are so inventive. Yeah, they might be up there for another award this year. I don't yeah. think are, were they shortlisted. That I haven't seen the shortlist. I can't remember. I don't think they were. Yeah, oh. I, I think they might have been snubbed too. I mean, I know most people are looking at one of the Marvel movies that came out this year, Black Panther or Infinity War. Yeah. Uh, but Annihilation was just more, um, I don't know. It was more like the fiber of the film itself and uh, felt really unlike something I've seen before. It's on It's on the top of my visual effects rankings for the Christian Awards, just to let you know. Yay. <laughs> and Black oh, I guess, I guess. I guess Christian has to chime in on this opinion since I did see it. Um, so I saw it in March and I don't remember much about it. <laughs> There's the, I mean, I read the book. The book is really, I like the book. And so I think my expectations were high for the movie. And of course you can't get the same thing out of a book that you can from a movie. Mm. And I don't know, I, it was just a trippy experience for me. And I really want to see it again. I'm pretty sure it's on Hulu. Yeah. So it might be a rewatch for me, but I don't think it'll be anywhere near top 20, top 10 for me. I mean, the yeah. visuals are, I mean, if we're talking visuals, the visuals are super, super great. Plus a very diverse cast, all women, but all very mm-hmm. diverse women. That's a really big positive note right there. Definitely. Yeah. I, I really I think you, got, you got to see it in the theater to get the full experience. Even if you watch it on the big screen at home, it's going to be a little subpar. Um, just from a visual aspect, but it's good to rewatch it just for the storyline. Cool. Good film. Annihilation. <laughs> All right. Um, our next film, KB, you got another one that was only I, on your list. I do. And that's Love, Simon. Mm-hmm. Love, Simon It was my first five-star movie of the year as far as my letterbox ratings. And for me... Um, I find it very weird that before 2018, there weren't a lot of movies that like teens of this generation could look back in 10, 20 years and say, that movie defined my teenage years. Like for me, coming up in the 80s, I had all the John Hughes movies, Breakfast Club, Pretty in Pink, all that stuff. And then as I got into college, I had everything from your school days and things like that. But this generation doesn't really have that. And then Love, Simon came out, and even though, you know, the the main plot line may not be uh, something that everyone relates to, just the way the storyline went, hanging out with your friends, piling up in a small car, going to get iced coffees, these are things that even my teenagers do with their friends today. And it's probably the only movie that I've seen three times in the theaters this year. And yeah, I went to the screener, and then I checked my kids to see it two times. So, um, yeah, everything from music, which they still play around the house all the time, <laughs> to just that that feel of something that they could identify with. And yes, I I cried in the theater that time um, in certain scenes just because it was relatable with just the the teenage angst and everything. So. I had to put it in there. And once again, a movie from the earlier part of the year that I wanted to remember when I did my top 10. Yeah. Um, 
I really enjoyed this one as well. And you mentioning John Hughes, I feel like this, this is the John Hughes movie of mm -hmm. the 2010s. Um, and you're right. Like I, when you say that, I think, okay, high school movies that I saw, you know, growing up, I mean, easy a comes to mind. Um, I'm sure there are a few others mm -hmm. that I just can't think of right now, but you're right. Literally thinking back, thinking back on high school movies during my time, I can't think of a single one. No, yeah. I mean, really high school musical. <laughs> yeah, I was, in, I, was in I was in grade school when that came out. True. True but I'm saying. saying it's like there's not a lot of teenage focused movies that the majority of people could identify with today. And I think that really hits spot. Now, there are other ones since then. I mean, I think even though it's middle school, eighth grade would yes. be another one um, that people could identify with now. But as far as um, something for this generation of teens that reflect them and their friends, that and like I said, eighth grade and the hate you give probably the only ones that could really identify. And they all came out in 2018, yeah. the end of the 2010s. I must say, can we agree that Love, Simon had one of the best dance sequences of the year? Yes. <laughs> I cool. watched it. I watched it the other day because I was actually uh, came up on Shuffle. I want to dance with somebody by Whitney. And I was like, you know what? That's in that one movie. I need to Google and I YouTubed it. And my God, it's so hilarious. Even though he does absolutely nothing. No, he doesn't. And I think when I, because I saw the screener with KB, I think when that part came up, I just stared at you and I started hysterically laughing because I was not expecting that at all. Not at all. It's kind of like the dancing in Ex Machina. It's like, where did that come from? Yeah. But I'm so glad it did. <laughs> but no, I really like uh, Love, Simon, too. I read the book years and years ago. Um never thinking it'd be a movie. And I think it was a month after I read the book where they're like, congratulations, Becky Alberti. I think the author is your movie's going to be, your book's going to be a movie. And here I am like, Oh my God, I read a book. <laughs> going to be famous now. Well, did yeah, you read I, uh, the hate you give to? Yes, I did. But I read that like right before the movie came out too. Right on. Yeah. I just want to give attention to the performance of Jennifer Garner in that movie. Oh, that one scene. The dad yeah. from Call Me By Your Name is shaking right now. <laughs> mm -hmm. She's Honestly. great. It was very similar. Um, I mean, not the same content, but also the performance from Josh Hamilton in eighth grade. Both films kind of had that um, moment of the parent telling the child, like, I love you for who you are, and I think you're awesome. And um, it's they're both very touching scenes, I think. We keep bringing up eighth grade. Is that on anybody's list? I don't think it is. It's not. It's not. Um, it's, it's somebody's honorable mention, but we'll I get think to I, those. I put it on honorable mention, I think. Yeah, because I'd like to talk about eighth grade just a little bit. Yeah. Since yeah. we're on the subject of teens. But no, I think that we have a pretty good teen trifecta year here. Love, Simon, eighth grade, the hate you give. All really different stories, like super different. Yeah. But I think they speak to this generation. I'd hope they would anyway. Yeah. Just the pure awkwardness in eighth grade. I was like, yes, this is what life is like. <laughs> big awkward mess. Uh, but yeah, I really liked all three or those two as well. I still need to see Hate You Give, but it comes yeah. out soon. So I think you're up next, Brett. Yeah. Um, so the one that I had on my list that nobody else had uh, is a film by director Chloe Zhao called The Writer. Oh boy. Yeah, and it's 
you know, it's set in like small town, Midwest, rural America, um, more so countryside than anything, but it's very, it's a very interesting examination of this man and his masculinity. He is a, um, a bronc rider who gets hurt, um, um, gets hit in the head. And it's all about, you know, how does he come to terms with his masculinity when he can't do what he's done and loved for so long? Um, the cinematography is absolutely beautiful. Chloe Zhao used non-actors um, or non-professional actors in their role. In fact, they're basically playing themselves. Brady Jandro gives one of my favorite performances of the year. Um, and yeah, it's just a beautiful, the landscapes are beautiful. There are really touching scenes between him and his sister and also um, him and a friend of his who um, has been permanently damaged because of an accident he suffered um, while riding. And so it's all kind of leading up to how does he get back on the horse? Should he go ride again? And it's very, I will say it's pretty slow, but very beautiful film. I think Chloe Zhao being um, one of the amazing female directors we had this year, um, who's also um, an immigrant to the United States, being able to capture Americana and masculinity the way she did was one of the best directorial achievements I saw this year. The more you talk about this movie, the more I want to rewatch it. Because as you know, Brett, when I watched this, I wasn't that big of a fan of it. And I don't think I was watching it with the same sort of idea and light as you were. Because I don't know if I didn't get that masculinity stuff or the Americana stuff. I just thought this is a slow movie about a guy who has, you know, his own troubles at life, who his family has troubles, his friends has issues, mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. And I don't know, I, I guess it really wasn't getting into it as much, but now I really want to rewatch it. Yeah, I think more than anything else, it's just a, it's a very realistic portrait of life out there. I mean, it takes place um, in South Dakota, rural South Dakota, um, and really respective drama in that sense. And the real interesting thing too, which you pointed out when I first watched it, was wasn't the movie or Chloe's Hour both nominated for the IFC award last year, right? Yes. But now the movie itself, I mean, as people say, it probably won't get Oscar buzz, but it's being nominated and winning for other things this year mm -hmm. as well. So it has like a two year advantage to it. Yeah, I guess IFC, they took its film festival premiere um, last year, even though it's technically a 2018 release in the US. Um, so yeah, it won the Gotham this year. It also won the top award from the National Society of Film Critics. Uh, so it's had its own little spell as well. Hmm. Cool. Um, yes, here in a few, we will um, go on to the ones that appeared on two of our lists. I will say I really like how this ended up coming out. It just worked so perfectly that um, there were five films that only one of us had on our lists. There were five that only two of us had on our list. And there were five that only three of us had on our lists. Numbers. Numbers, yeah. Math. I, I say as I'm watching a squirrel jump from tree to tree and watching the snow fall from the tree. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Um, so that basically closes out what we have for the films that... Um, only appeared on one list of ours. We'll run through those later just to see where they landed. Um, but yeah, so moving on to 
films that appeared on two of our lists. First film here was, for me, a film that surprised me just how much I enjoyed it. Um, I, I expected good things, but not anything close to what I saw. And Christian, even though it's not on your list, I think you really enjoyed it as well. I did. Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, the animated Spidey film. The movie that's going to bring the Disney marathon of best animated features down. Yes. If there's any justice, it will. Yes. Pixar will not win this year. And they should. I mean, I really liked Incredibles too, but Spider-Man introduces Miles Morales, who is a comic book favorite, as well as what five other spider people um, that aged Peter Parker. And for me, it just touched on a number of emotions. It was both very funny. Like I laughed a lot. Uh, yeah. Nearly brought me to tears because it's very emotional as well. And the animation is revolutionary, I think. Oh my gosh, the animation. Yeah. I saw I saw like a little um Twitter feed about the animation, and it's like the smallest details that I didn't even I've only seen this once. I really want to see it again, but it'll probably be on Blu-ray. The smallest details in the animation that you don't notice because it's mostly like comic book inspired. Mm -hmm. So you see the like the little whooshes when he'll move. You see yeah. the little comic book whooshes. It's just amazing. Yeah, they definitely use a beautiful combination of 2D and 3D animation. Mm -hmm. And the thing that it reminded me of was the first time I saw that uh, Pixar short, uh, Paper Man, oh, which is no. a gr great combination of 2D and 3D animation yeah. working together. Um, because if you speak to a lot of animators, they either, it's, it's really like a polar opposite thing. They pick 2D animation, they pick 3D animation. And just in certain scenes, just the way they interact with each other, you'll see like um, Peter Porker, Spider-Ham, is in total 2D, and then the other characters are in 3D. And it looks so synchronous that it's, it's beautiful. And like you're saying, there's so many different scenes where there's a 2D background, and then the characters are in, in foreground in 3D. And it's just beautiful. And if you saw it in 3D, like I did in a theater, it even adds to it. I wish 3D Blu-rays were still the thing because I would look forward to getting this on a 3D Blu-ray and just watching it that way again. But I'm definitely going to try to catch it in theater again, just to experience that again, just like that. Also, on top of that, the soundtrack was awesome. Oh, man. Um, the way there was a lot of films that capture New York City. Um, and to have an animated movie captured New York, like I felt like I was back home in Brooklyn in certain scenes. And I'm like, wait a minute, this is an animated movie that's making me feel this way. And that, that just added to the awesome experience that it was. And it definitely was the best animated feature of the year. And I would even go to say as far as the last five years, because there hasn't been that many like, wow type of movies coming out of animated as far as features. Christian has a face on. <laughs> you insulted Coco in his mind. Thank you. <laughs> I didn't even have to say it. You know what I was thinking. <laughs> you know I love Coco. But, I mean, just from the visual effects side of things and the use of the animation, I, I thought it was revolutionary. Yeah, okay, I'll give you that. Okay. Yeah, it was revolutionary, and I 
I was hoping it would be one of the best animated films of the year. Certainly didn't expect it to be my favorite superhero film of the year because that's a genre that I will admit I do enjoy. Mm-hmm. And for me, it was um, just a close edge over Black Panther, which is also great. Do you um, think it's? Spider-Man. Do you think it's better than um, Spider Man Two? Ooh. No. Uh, so Into the Spider Verse would be number two on my all-time Spidey list, but Spider-Man 2, and I did watch it again just to make sure the themes in that movie and that Rosemary Harris performance <laughs> and the 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 uh, dichotomy between Spidey and Doc Ock, I don't know if it can be taught for me. That one's just yeah. really tough for me, but it's close. It's, it's extremely close. To me, it's those two and then a big gap and the rest of the Spider-Man films, if I'm honest. Yeah. I got to go watch Spider-Man 2 now. Damn you for even bringing that up. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I wanted to bring that up because I knew Brett watched it and he talks about it a lot. And for some reason during Christmas break, he texts me while I'm probably partying it up with my family. Don't you think Rosemary Harris deserves an Oscar for this? At least a nomination. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, whatever. But that's funny. But no, I, um, I don't think if Mary, again, Mary Poppins made me feel a certain way. Very, very happy. But if Mary Poppins hadn't made me feel that way, Spider-Man, it, it would have been on my list. Yeah. Let's just say it's on my list because in the height, if you look at my letterbox, I do a top 20 and it is sitting comfortably, I will say at number 11. So it's, so right it's there. there. It's close. It's in the top 20. I really loved it when I saw, actually, when I saw Wreck-It Ralph, which is in November, I said the Incredibles are going down with Wreck-It Ralph, but then nobody saw Wreck-It Ralph. So whatever, the Incredibles. And then when I saw Spider-Man, I'm like, damn, everything is going down. Spider-Man broke Ralph. <laughs> Literally, Spider-Man broke Ralph. Spider-Man defeated the Incredibles. I mean, <laughs> that's amazing. And as you know, when I went to the Kansas City Film Critics Award, there was actually grumbles in the room for awarding Spider-Man. I, I want to say it's probably from people who didn't see it because I don't know anyone who's seen it that will say any kind of grumbles or have any disagreement that it's the best animated feature of the year. And, and somehow we voted on those awards two days after Spider-Man came out and it still won. Wow. Well, and I've talked to, like I saw it with a friend who is a huge Marvel fan, but he was not excited about it at all. He's like, I don't like this animation thing with Spider-Man. Is this who I'm thinking about? Yeah, but oh, um, in and um, he, it's his favorite film of the year. Like it, even him who was like totally against it, went in, saw it and was like, okay, this blew me away. Yeah, there so you go. So. And again, I like, I keep saying with animated films, family films, it's a little too smart for little children. Like little children can be like marveled at the whole Spider-Man and all the other universes of it and the animation, ooh, and the fighting. But look at it in the deeper meaning of it, especially with the family aspect of it all. There was a scene or two that made me a little bit surprised that it wasn't PG-13. Um, got the PG rating. I mean, it just it's just very close to the line, even mm-hmm. for an animated film. But, yeah. All right. Are we good on Spidey? Yes. Go see it in theaters, you guys, because it's... I'm surprised it hasn't made more money. Yeah. yeah me too. Uh, Christian, I believe... I imagine you would like to introduce our next film. Oh boy, would I! Hot damn, it is blind spotting. Um, forgive me. Look up the director, Brett. 
But um, Carlos Lopez Estrada. Carlos Lopez Estrada, uh, written by though David Diggs from Hamilton fame and his co-star. Raphael, Raphael Casal. I'm not sure how it's pronounced. Yeah. Um, gosh, I'm really bad at that. But yeah, co-written by that. It takes place in Oakland, which another feature this year took place in Oakland. Uh, sorry to bother you. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just talks about really the gentrification. Oh, and Black Panther does too, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. Forgot about that. Well, three movies. Here, man. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Okay. So this one, again, in Oakland, talking about sort of the gentrification of it through the eyes of this character played by Debbie Diggs, who's gotten out of jail. He's on parole. And it's really the last four or five days of his parole. And his friends really damn close to fucking it up for him. He witnesses a uh, shooting from a police officer. He's right there. He is the witness. And it's sort of from his perspective of uh, his daily life in Oakland, what that actual scene that he saw does for him. Um, I don't know. God, it just, I saw it once and it blew me away. And I will say David Diggs, if you know him from Hamilton, the man knows how to rap. He has a great rap scene in the end that yeah. sums up the character's entire feelings. And I just sat there stunned. I was in a car watching this on one of those mini DVD players. <laughs> really bad place to watch it, but whatever. And I had to rewind it just to watch it again. Agree with me on the scene. Yes, completely agree. It was probably one of my favorite scenes of the year. It's like edge of the seat. Um that kind of scene. Yeah. And really like this film, it's, it's only like 90 minutes long, but what it says in that 90 minutes is it's phenomenal. Um, I, I can't help but compare it every time I talk about it to green book because they are both buddy films centered around a race between a black man and a white man. And if you watch these two, just pick out the differences about what they're saying and I know Green Book is set in the 1960s, but to me feels very outdated, whereas this is just the perfect film for this era. Um, definitely built for um, the Black Lives Matter era that we're in right now, which is, mm-hmm. um, it just fits that perfectly. Um, but yeah, David Diggs, people may know him from the unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt as well. Um, was he in, in that? Yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah, he's in that. I guess I didn't see that season. Yeah, but his performance and also Raphael Casal, um, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. You can tell just from their chemistry on the screen, like it's unsurprising that they wrote the movie together. Mm-hmm. And the dynamics of their friendship are very interesting to see flesh out like that. And it's, it's, it really does do a nice job talking about the gentrification of Oakland and especially these two individuals' anger about it, especially Raphael Cassell's, uh feelings about it because he has his big uh, again kb hasn't seen this so i don't really want to spoil anything but he has his big box waiting for me to pick it up please go do it trudge through the snow but he has his big moment where he gets so pissed off it's uh, like this character who's talking about what oakland is now and he's like this is my town and i'll end with that because that's where it goes (laughs) well i'm like i i can understand not seeing it because this movie was out in theaters for like a week. I don't know. Um, it didn't have a big theatrical release. And 
I just stumbled across it because I saw it on some top 10 lists, um, some friends who had seen it and said it was really good. So I found it on Prime and I was like, holy shit, why is why aren't more people talking about this? <laughs> Honestly. On Prime? Yeah, well, it, it's, it was to rent. At the time, it was only like oh. two bucks to rent. It might okay. still be there. but I think the Blu-ray was only like $15 too on Amazon last I checked. Mm-hmm. And it's a worthwhile purchase for me anyway. For wow. Sure. I will at least once a year do a blind buy. So if you're saying that, I might just blind buy it based on your recommendation. That will be my blind buy for 2018 since I didn't have one last year. It's worth it. You saw Bohemian Rhapsody twice. You can watch Blind Spotting once. Oh, stop it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll call you out. I'm over 40. I could see Bohemian Rhapsody twice. Oh, God, mm-hmm. that's true. But Blind Spotting, I think it's obviously criminally underrated. Yeah. Since nobody saw it. I mean, other than you and I, I think our friend Zay is the only one else that I know who saw it. And Toby, because I made him see it. <laughs> but that's it. That's what four people. And Zay's uh, review of it was one of the big reasons why I sought it out and watched it. Yeah, because so they they like- actually had the chance to see it in theaters, and I didn't because I just didn't have time. And I and then you saw it, and then I was like, well, you know what? Might as well see it. Yeah, that I'd say. All right, KB. I th- I imagine you would want to introduce our next one. Yeah. Oh yes, that would be Black Panther. Um. Written and directed by Brian Coogler. Um, what, Fruitvale Station, Creed, Creed 2? He, he, he was involved in Creed 2. I think he produced it. Yeah. But um, when this was coming out, I really was in a state of disbelief because out of all the Marvel characters that are getting movies, I would never see the day where Black Panther would get a feature movie. I thought it would fall into like the Luke Cage um, or Vision and Scarlet Witch type of um, genre that hits like your Netflix or your Fox and so forth. So to see this come out as a major movie and really just blow not only the box office, but people away being like the first, I think, crossover Marvel movie where it was more than your action movie fans and your comic book movie fans. There are a lot of people who've never seen Avengers because they're not into comic books or they've never seen Iron Man because, you know, they're not into that. But the majority of people who've seen Black Panther is reflected, like I said, not only in the box office, but in the Wakanda forever going on everywhere and so forth. So one of the best ensemble casts of the year um, from the beginning of the year when I first saw it, Michael B. Jordan was going to be the best supporting actor for me. I would say Richard E. Grant, and can you forgive me, is up there too. Yeah. Um, as we previously mentioned, visual effects are excellent. I mean, Marvel movies with the CGI use is usually good. I had a friend who never watches any type of comic book action movies just randomly put it on because it was on Netflix and pleasantly blown away, calling it one of their favorite movies of the year. So not to go on and on about it, but definitely Black Panther is up there. It's so good. Even my mother liked it. (laughs) It it really has crossover appeal. 
It has. Yeah, she doesn't. She doesn't watch these superhero movies. No. I think she's seen Iron Man and Avengers, and that's it. Yeah, and I don't think it. It's the intention, but I think it's relatable to so many people. I mean, there's family drama in it. There's anti-hero. There, there's so many aspects of it that people can relate to. That I just think they find it appealing. Yeah, I mean, um, I will say this was number 11 on my list. It was on my list until I saw another film the other night, which we'll discuss. It is right there. I mean, when I watch again, it may end up popping back in. Um, two hands up for the women in this film. Hell yes. They are amazing. Um, just a joy to watch and just pure badass. Mm-hmm. And Letitia, Letitia Wright? Yep. Yeah. yeah. She has, I think she was the top earning actor of all time last year because she was in this, she was in Avengers playing the same role. She was in a couple other movies too. She did a Black Mirror episode. Yeah, she's just, I, I just love the women in this. Mm-hmm. And if I could, I mean, I think for Christian Awards, I might have that they're all nominated in one capacity or another. Well, like I said, best ensemble, definitely. Yeah. It's good, too, that they're getting a lot of recognition at these award shows. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and- we talk about um, never having a superhero comic book film nominated for best picture. I, I think Black Panther is going to do it. Yeah. I really do. Which is what, really exciting. It's what it deserves. Marvel finally got a good one for me. Yeah, and it's probably not the one they were expecting to get either. No. But I think that speaks to the writing and the direction of the movie. And it's one of these cases that if it is nominated for Best Picture, which I'm pretty sure it will be, it'll be an entire year since it came out. Yeah. Very similar it's, to it, get out the year before. Yeah, it's a very it's another example of hey. This movie came out in February, even before the Oscars of last year, too. Mm-hmm. And we're still talking about it. We're still remembering it. It's that good. Hey, awards time. Yep. Also, I want to give a little bit of attention to the album curated by Kendrick Lamar. Dot. It's fantastic as well. It is. I still need to listen to it. Oh, yeah. It's, it's great. Alrighty, um, I'm not sure who had this highest on the list. Probably UKB again. Um, if you want to go ahead and introduce our next one as well. Oh, um, yes, I had it at number two. That would be Roma. Mm. Um, wow, beautiful. That's really all I could say. It was just a simple, low-key, beautiful film. Um, the cinematography alone blew me away. Um, the thing that kept it from being number one for me would be the storyline, which while good and probably a perspective that we never knew we wanted or needed, um, there were things about it that was like, okay, but why, why do I care about this? And there were scenes that made you want to care and then it wasn't consistent. So that's what kept it from being my top pick for the year. But outside of that, it was just a simply beautiful story. Um, I really want to hear from Christian because I think we both were uh, anticipating seeing this, but it didn't quite make it onto your top 10. No, it didn't. Um, I think the biggest factor for that anyway was because I saw, again, 
so many things that really mm. got to me. Okay. I, I did enjoy Roma. I did enjoy Alfonso's direction, his direction, his editing, his cinematography. Damn, what what didn't that yeah. man do in that movie? Yeah. He did it all. I, I really think this was like his personal love letter to like his mother, his family, his way of life. Yeah. Um, because there are certain scenes where you just take a look and they're like snapshots. Um, just like one of my favorite video essay on YouTube, every frame of painting. Mm -hmm. um, you could literally pause the movie at any point and just take a look at that as a snapshot. And it was and, beautiful. And they actually sent me, um, because I, I, get, I do get um, screeners. So I saw this before it was released on Netflix. They did send me a 200 page book that's like yay massive of like all the photographs in that movie. Wow. It's like also really saying every still a painting, I'd have the book that is that. But I will say that now that I'm thinking about it, for Brett's talking about the writer, how Chloe Zhao sort of captures Americana, this is the equivalency of that, except it's Alfonso capturing his idea of Mexico. Mm -hmm. And his, obviously his life in Mexico, because it is sort of based on his family experience. Right. Now, could anybody tell what uh, time period it was supposed to be? I just knew going in, but if I didn't, I wouldn't be really sure, if I'm honest. So it is? It's like the 70s? It's the 70s, yeah. Early 70s. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe I just missed something. Or, you know, I saw it the day it came out on Netflix, um, the theater in here got it and showed it, um, thankfully, because I really wanted to see it on the big screen because it's, it is the best way to see that if you have the means. Um, but yeah, it is, like you said, a beautiful film. There's a scene that really near the ends where under a different director, it could have been very over the top and with a huge operatic score and different camera movements, but he keeps it very fluid and keeps it very real and authentic. And I really appreciated that. And also the performance of Yalitza Aparicio. Um, Thank you. I was going to say it. She's she is great. She's amazing. I think she deserves she's every get nomination she's out there. Yeah, she was she was on out. Jimmy Kimmel a few weeks ago, actually, and she's pleasant. She doesn't speak any English whatsoever. Yeah, she's also a I believe a non professional actor. Um, yeah, she so. said that she she said that her sister was actually going in to audition for the role, but her sister was pregnant, and so they asked Yalitza hey, do you want to audition for this? Not knowing that it was going to be Alfonso's movie or whatever, and she got the role, and now she's walking the red carpets. Yeah. Beautiful. Awesome. Could be the first foreign language film to win Best Picture. Um, I think that possibility is out there. Yep. It's exciting. The first, the first uh, Oscar history here, the first actually foreign non-speaking language, right, right, because right. they consider Hamlet, which is a British movie, foreign. Right, right, correct. You're right. Those British in their tea. <laughs> Sorry to our British fans. <laughs> uh, speaking of the British, our mm -hmm. next film. Oh, boy. The perfect British film, in my opinion. The lovely Paddington 2. Oh, yay. Brett, you introduced this one. Oh, I, so I got to start by just saying, when the first Paddington came out, I paid like no attention to it. 
didn't even cross my radar. I did not get any of the stories growing up. So when this was coming out and everybody was saying, oh, this is fantastic. I'm like, okay, I'll watch the first one. Really enjoyed the first one. Paddington 2 is, in my opinion, just extraordinary. Um, it reminds me, because I like a lot of films that don't always have the happy ending and they're, um, you know, really true life. But this film reminded me that you can really have a great film that just makes you feel good and is about kindness, um, all delivered by this little CGI bear um, voiced perfectly by Ben Wishaw, um, who's also in Mary Poppins Returns, also featuring a great supporting performance from Hugh Grant as the villain. Uh, but it's just it's just a really a film that had me basically smiling from ear to ear the whole time I was watching it, except when I was crying. Um, oh my gosh! Because <laughs> it was it's not a sad movie, but it tugs on the heartstrings, it and also does. just the cinematic influences. There's a scene where he's washing windows that remind me a lot of like Keaton or Chaplin. Yeah. And then there's a scene where he's like going through the gears and machinery and he comes out and he actually has a grease stain, like reminiscing uh, Charlie Chaplin's mustache. And for Paul King, the director to present this film that one would see mostly for kids, but also threw in these cinematic references was really cool as well. It's a, again, uh, again, I'll bring this up. It's a good family movie. And in this case, I think kids will actually enjoy this one. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's again, it's a happy movie, which is always good for me. I watched it actually the first of the year this year just because I hadn't seen it since February. Um, it holds up very well. It's just a damn delightful movie. That little bear. Yeah, when it when it came out, I um I rewatched the first Paddington because it was so enjoyable. And then watch two and once again not a lot of sequels end up being better than the original but i think this was the case here um i thoroughly enjoyed it especially hugh grant's performance i i just thought he was darling in it <laughs> yeah and um, somebody needs to make a poster of paddington in uh, the same reference as like the Godfather part two, because we're, we're talking about two sequels that people consider like perfect sequels. Yeah. Why not have Paddington just like standing there with his arms like this and a marmalade sandwich in his mouth. <laughs> Instead of petting the cat, like petting the uh, marmalade jar. Yeah. This, yeah. the ending to this though, which if you haven't seen this movie audience one, how dare you Two, you're dead to me. Uh, three, it's like Brett said, it tugs at the heartstrings so much. It's a cute movie, but yeah, um, I will say I saw it. I took two, I took an 11 year old and a six year old to see it, and they both loved it as well. So, to your point about kids enjoying it, I think it's definitely there. Why are you hanging out with children? Hey, the, I've known these Moving kids. on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I will say one thing. Shame on you, Warner Brothers, for not pushing this for anything. I know. Yep. I mean, at least, at least, what's that? Did you even get a screener? No. Case but, in point. But somebody did nominate it at the Kansas City Film Critics for uh, adapted screenplay. There you go. Very nice. Well, and it's like, critics love it, too. I mean, it's not like it's just a out there wild pick i mean critics it got some of the best reviews it's actually the 
highest rated film in Rotten Tomatoes history, if I'm not mistaken. Has a hundred percent with the most ratings for any film ever. So y'all, and we're in and Green Book is going for best picture. <laughs> <laughs> and Bohemian Rhapsody. Um, which I haven't seen yet, so I can't say. But come see, come see. So that wraps up the films that only appeared on two of our lists. Um, so our final five films are, I guess, if you compare our three lists, the cream of the crop from this year. Um, we'll start off with we again. I went and averaged how these are rated out. So based on where they appeared in our list, it's all pretty even for the most part. Um, who wants to introduce our first one? I think Look at me. <laughs> Look at me. <laughs> perfect i guess i'll do this yeah go ahead as i said look at me damn it it's the favorite this movie okay i saw it recently with brett uh in theaters because i'd only seen it on a dvd screener and it it floored me this time i will say the first few times it was pretty good this time it floored me in being probably it's it's high on my list once we describe where our list is, but it's something you don't see every day. It's something you don't feel every day. It has three of the best performances of the year in a single movie. It's funny. It's dramatic. It's sexy, dare I say. And I don't know. Damn, it's just, it's a good movie. Olivia Coleman. That's Olivia Coleman. Olivia Coleman. If, Olivia she get, if she doesn't get best actress for this, I don't know what is real in life. But um, you're right. All three women, great performances all around. Great costume design. Great production design. Um, definitely the most original screenplay of 2018, in my opinion, mm -hmm. that I could think of. Um, and just their dynamics. I mean, to have a movie with, I would say, three anti-heroes that were all protagonists and antagonists at the same time it was just really amazing and the director as well yorgamos yargos lanthimos yorgos yep. lanthimos yes yeah. um i think he did a fine job as well um there's so many aspects of this movie that we could talk about but i was pleasantly surprised yeah a few things i noticed um one would be obviously the performances. Um, Olivia Coleman was outstanding. I'm not sure if she's the lead here. I'm not sure how do you figure all that out. Yeah. Um, but she was great. I enjoyed all three, obviously. Nicholas Holt as well, I really enjoyed. Um, the other thing that I really noticed was the camera movement. Um, sometimes just the way it moves is more so what I would expect in like, I don't want to say an action film, but a more like, something that I wouldn't see in a costume drama period. Mm -hmm. um, cinematography is great. The screenplay, uh, but also just, I, I personally don't normally like period costume dramas set in the 1800s. They're just not my cup of tea. This one both um, kind of spoofs that genre, but also is a shining entry. In, within that genre because um, it does have that political turmoil and that drama also mixed in with this really funny and out there polarity. I think of some of the dancing scenes in this as well. And it's just so 
hilarious to watch. Um, like I told you when we saw it, I finally understood why it was put into the comedy category at the Golden Globes. Yeah. And I, I, I agree with that. I, I think it is a comedy because I think I don't think it's taking itself all that seriously. Yeah. And I like that. I like that it is one of the more modern period pieces where I'm not just like bored to death about it or it's the same thing. These people yeah. are having, I mean, even though there's not a whole lot of fun going on, these people are having fun berating each other, trying to kill each other. Yeah. I always say the signs of a good screenplay is if you could change the locale and have it have the same effect. Like, this didn't have to be a period piece. This could have mm -hmm. been a modern thing and still yeah. hit you the same way and still have the same effect. I mean, until you look at the secondary storyline, it really doesn't register as a uh, period piece. But then when you get into that, it does. But it could really be set in any time. Sure. I thought about I thought about all about Eve watching this. Yes, a lot of influence of that there too. Yeah, that I and my first review Barry Lyndon and Amadeus too. Mm -hmm. And let's not forget the hair and makeup was on point as well. Oh my gosh, yes, mm, yeah, for sure. Honestly, one of the more surprising films for me, because yep. again, I thought it was going to be a dramatic period piece, and here it is. I'm laughing through it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Cool. Um, well, I'll introduce our next film. Um, oh, yay. I, I, I was surprised, and KB, you said this is good in a second viewing. I've only seen it once, but just how it's held up in my mind over time since I saw it in October, kind of surprised. But um, A Star is Born, the Bradley Cooper directed Lady Gaga vehicle. Yes. Um, I will say, starting off, um, Lady Gaga tremendous um between her and coleman um some of the best and also tony Collette and hereditary i just want to give her a shout out yeah best actress performances of the year um but really bradley cooper as well just for him to direct this not just direct and star in it but also learn to play guitar and play guitar well um mm -hmm. singing taking on the accents making it believable as a country rock artist i think he is undoubtedly my favorite lead acting performance of the year um, and i don't i think he's really touches on addiction and you know mental health and alcoholism really well and it is it's just an enjoyable film it's not um i don't know if people put it in the high art reign like roma and the favorite but i think it is very artistic and the cinematography and the camera work is stunning as well it's what the 70s version wants to be pretty much yeah. It made me forget about the 70s version, to tell you the truth. The 70s version doesn't exist anymore. Sorry, Barbara. Yeah. I mean, um, everything that Brett was saying, what I really found interesting was, one, I went into this movie with no expectations. I didn't know what I was going to get out of it. I really didn't look forward to anything besides seeing Lady Gaga on screen. But the one thing from watching and everything was that her performance was good, but Bradley Cooper really blew me away with his performance, which almost made her secondary. And I think that uh, spoke to the writing and also the way he directed it. It was kind of like you wanted to see him on screen mm -hmm. as, as excellent as she was. So there were parts where, you know, the, um, what was her character's name? Allie. Allie. The Allie scenes where it was like solely focused on her. 
I felt like something was missing. Like I needed him back on the screen again. Um, and just everything all around was just great about it, especially for a movie I did not expect to get that much out of. Mm-hmm. Um, he's up there for me, not only as best director, but also um, best actor, like Brett said as well. Mm-hmm. I had uh, pretty much high expectations for this and um, they were all met. I when that trailer came on in every single movie that I saw leading up to it, mm. every time it would say Bradley Cooper, Lady Gaga, and then it end, I'd go, "She come for that Oscar," <laughs> and sure enough, yeah. she come for that Oscar. True that. And I and think so- like Bradley Cooper has been trying to shed the pretty boy image for a long time. Yeah, and if that isn't gone by now, it needs to be. He is the real deal. Yeah, this is not Mister Hangover anymore. Yeah. God. And the soundtrack to this, too. Really good. Really good. Most songs written by Lady Gaga, um, Mark, Mark Bronson. Bronson. Yeah. And yeah. then Willie, Willie Nelson's son. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I When I'm looking through the songs, um, obviously Shallow is the one getting a lot of attention, but I, I still don't know which is my favorite. They're all so good. Or there's like three that are really so good, and I just can't decide. Always remember us this way. Great song. That's my pick. Cool. Um, if there's nothing else on that, Christian, I bet you're dying to introduce our next movie. Yes, it's great. Won't you be my neighbor? The Mr. Rogers documentary of 2018 that we all needed in our lives. Much like Paddington leaves a little tug in your heartstring. It's simply about Mr. Fred Rogers, who, as we know, had Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood on PBS. Some of us growing up watched it. I surprisingly did not grow up watching it at all. So this was going into it. I just knew about him. Um, turned out to be one of the more surprising documentaries of the year for me. I cried. I'm not even joking. I cried during it. Um, yeah, that's it. It's just about his life. And his life is very interesting. And he helped a bunch of people out in terms of feeling good about themselves. Yeah. Yeah. And yesterday, I kid you not, some commercial was singing one of the songs of his, It's You I Like, and I'm here in the kitchen opening the fridge, and I started being like, oh my god, I can't listen to this, I will start crying. Yeah, it's uh, very high on my list as well, my favorite documentary of the year um, that I've seen. And yeah, it's hard not to cry when you watch this. I will say, I did grow up with Mr. Rogers, he did the show until 2001, so I did watch him on TV. Um, at daycare, at home, whatever. <laughs> I, of course, I was young, but I've just never known the revolutionary that he was. The things that he talked about on his show, such as the assassination of Robert Kennedy when the show was first premiering, talking to kids about things like that and some really heavy topics and showing the world kindness um, amongst all the bad things that are happening. He was incredible, and the documentary does him the utmost respect. And he saved PBS. Yes. A few times over. Um, like, that's, that's the scene that really got to me for some reason. And he does it so eloquently and so simple when all those Congress people are just like tired of listening to why they need to save PBS. He comes in and is like... Yeah, I grew up on PBS. Your Sesame Street, your electric company... Three, two, one, contact, and definitely Mr. Rogers' neighborhood. So, um, having him 
in my formative years on television all the way up to, you know, being an adult and not knowing, like you said before, not knowing the impact of what he was doing behind the scenes, but also feeling the impact of what he was doing as far as influenced me as an individual on screen. And it wasn't a documentary that I was anticipating or even it was coming out. I heard more about that Tom Hanks one that's coming out, the mm -hmm. biopic more than this. But when I saw it, I, I'm like you, Christian, the room got dusty really quickly. <laughs> um, certain segments, I still, re and it was nostalgic because certain scenes that they sh showed, I remember watching that episode. Mm -hmm. So I remember the episode with the uh, washing of the feet kind of thing and not realizing that there were religious aspects kind of intertwined in there. But looking back and thinking about it, yeah, I could see it now. But not knowing um, his faith or anything like that, that added to it as well. But just a good, solid, feel-good, warm documentary that, once again, my favorite of the year as well. Um, a PBS also this last year put out another Mr. Rogers documentary, actually, called Mr. Rogers, It's You I Like, which I did see. I think uh, Won't You Be My Neighbors a lot better, but just for perspective, Michael Keaton hosted, and Michael Keaton actually worked with Mr. Rogers himself. Oh. But it was, I think 2018 was a year of Mr. Rogers overall. <laughs> well, and it was really something to see, because you never know what these people are like behind the scenes. I mean, we see Mr. Rogers on screen, obviously appears as this really nice guy. For me, some of the best things about the documentary was the people who worked with him and knew him really well reaffirming what we think about him, that he was actually this really great guy who mm -hmm. just was nice to people. Um, and I think in times like these, like it's important to have those films touching on some of the issues we have, but it's also nice to have movies like this that remind us like what can happen with kindness and caring about people. So Paddington and Mr. Rogers, they need a team up. Yep. They could save the world. They could, they could help us. <laughs> All right, KB, you've got our next one. If Beale Street Could Talk, my, I would say the best picture of the year to me as far as my list. Um, as I mentioned when I posted my best list, it is the most lush, colorful movie I've seen this year. And the story was real, yet full of dreams and aspirations. And also a combination of that plus despair, yet hope. and Brett and I um, had a conversation about how it made me want to watch a Wong Kar Wai movie, <laughs> um, like Chunking Express or something like that, because it had a lot of that Hong Kong second wave kind of feel to it. Like I said, just the lushness of the movie, it being an adaptation of James Baldwin's, um, of his novel, it was just well done by Barry Jenkins being the director of it. And some really standout performances, uh, Kiki Lane and Stephen James being the couple, the main couple, uh, Tish and Pawnee. But to me, and I know Christian and I share this opinion, Regina King for the win, man. She was just so outstanding in this movie. Low key, there, but when she had a scene, whether it was with the ensemble, another one that I really had, thought they had a really good ensemble, um, when she had a scene, she was in that scene. Mm -hmm. 
when she had, the, there was this one part in the middle where it was just her, not to spoil it for those who didn't see it, but that that scene when she was all by herself on that trip, and it was, it might as well have been like a silent movie, the way it was so emotional, and at first you're watching, you're like, what am I watching? And then as it went on and there was no dialogue there, it just pulled me in, and I'm like, wow, this is like blowing me away right now. And there were other scenes like that, like um, I think Brian Tyree Henry had a great year last year. Like most people know him from Atlanta. He's Paperboy on Atlanta, but he was also in Spider-Verse. He was one of the voices, and he plays um, Daniel in this movie. And both him, Tish, and Fani had a scene together. And once again, he was not in a movie for a long time, but his performance there was really, really outstanding. So I, I just like that Diego Luna shows up a couple of times <laughs> in it as well. And just seeing him just made me smile. So I just thought it was really good all around. It looked great. It made me feel good, even though there were some scenes that probably shouldn't have made me feel good, but it was so real and so touching that uh, Barry Jenkins did it again, in my opinion. And it helps that the score is magnificent. Oh, my gosh. It just, it moves. It there's such beautiful movement in that score. It's dreamlike, really. Yeah, really is. Yeah. Um, like I was actually I, surprised that this was James Baldwin's first novel, novel. film yeah. adaptation. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, his his material is not easy to tackle, and even um, if you read the novel and you watch a movie, the movie is a lot more uh, low key and tuned down. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah. Um, what, do you remember his documentary that came out? Was I'm not your Negro. Yeah. Yeah. Last year or the year before. Um, that's kind of like a glimpse into like the, the gravity of his writing. So not easy to, uh, adapt, but I think they did a really good job here of doing so. Yeah. And I, Everything you said, KB, I completely agree with. Regina King deserves everything. Um, give her all the awards because she, like, as I'm watching the movie and I'm like nearing the end, I'm like, okay, she's already got me. Like, she's great. And then she mm-hmm. does something more mm-hmm. and just, she just keeps bringing it. Um, Brian Tyree Henry, I agree with him as well. He's also in Widows this year and is really good in that too. Yes. Um, Stefan James um, as Fonny. Really, I thought he was great as well. Um, every scene that he was in, he brings a lot of charisma despite the difficult circumstances. And KB, like you said, I think the biggest thing about this movie for me, like you said, is that it gives you hope even mm-hmm. in times of despair throughout the movie. I don't yeah. know. I don't know how Barry Jenkins did it. He's a master. It's I cool. think. I think he. There were a couple of scenes where he just held the camera almost to a point of being uncomfortable. But it made you feel that scene, the Regina one, uh, Regina King one I mentioned before, and there was a couple of points with Fonny where there was no camera movement where he's zooming in and all this stuff to create effect, but just holding it there, almost like a lockdown shot. Mm-hmm. And it was like you could either feel really uncomfortable or you could really identify with this guy. And w- there were a couple scenes with Fonny just like just totally locked down and you felt what he was feeling. 
And it was almost like I said, a silent movie where you just felt that scene without any type of emotion or dialogue or anything. Mm -hmm. Nothing was forced. This is the movie I want to see again. And I actually purchased a ticket because it's at my local theater. Because again, I saw it on like a uh, DVD screener. It's just so nice to look at. Everybody's so nice to look at in this movie. Yeah. And that score, that score stuck with me really throughout the whole year so far. Just beautiful tones to it. Yeah. Really the only score that even compares for me from this year to Beale Street is uh, Justin Herbert's score in First Man. First Man. Mm -hmm. That was beautiful. Those are both great scores and it's just really works so well with the movies. Mm -hmm. Okay. Anything else on Beale Street? Go see it, y'all. Yeah. See it again. Please do. Okay, we have reached our final film of the day, a film that I think is very close to our interest here in this area, Black Klansman. Um, Take it away, I, Brett. The film that I've been excited for ever since it was announced. Um, you know, we are all in the Lawrence and Kansas City, um, Kansas slash Missouri area. Um, Kevin Wilmot, a professor at KU, who we are all familiar with, co-wrote this film with the director, Spike Lee. And I got to say, it is possibly my favorite screenplay of the year. For sure, my favorite adapted. Um, Mm -hmm. Really, it's already challenging enough to present a film that really effectively takes on the issues of our time and do it well. It's another thing to set it in the 70s um, and make it so clear that we haven't really come that far. Um, but John David Washington, the minute he starts talking about his pre, I'm like, oh man, he sounds just like Denzel. Yeah, close and your he, eyes and it's Denzel. <laughs> he, and he has the star power too. I think he's going to be a star. He's baby Denzel. Yeah, yes. literally. But yeah, it's a very... Um, it's a heavy movie. It is. Mm-hmm. It especially, is. Especially, especially that ending... Yeah, yeah. Which we got to hear Wilmot actually talk about why that ending was introduced in the first place. Yeah. Um, Just, I I think the balance of comedy and making you think, um, if I had any criticism of it, was that sometimes the message was a little over the top. Like, I I know you're going to pull out a Make America Great Again reference here or something like that. And, but for Spike Lee to have a film like this today, I think is very important because he's the type of voice that needs to speak to this type of issue and to relate it to, you know, there's nothing new under the sun as far as the things we've seen in the seventies and the things we've seen in the fifties and sixties and the things we're seeing today. And it could have been totally heavy handed, but that little comedy element kind of like balanced it out and i still remember how many times have i seen in the theater one two three so three so that tied with love simon yes two with kevin and then one other time no just two two times liberty hall and alma i saw thrice 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 yeah so i all i could say is that after that last scene as the credits roll and we heard Prince singing, 
Not a single word. Everyone was totally silent. And then maybe some applause after that, you know, because Kevin was in the audience or whatever. But that initial, like, was right there. And I think it was just a very poignant point of the movie and just relates it back to everything that we're seeing and experiencing today. And for me, the big thing with me is not only touching on all these topics and issues, it's so damn entertaining the entire time. Mm -hmm. And there's mm -hmm. not a moment that it lulls for me or anything like that. I just, I ate it up. Um, really looking forward to watching it again. And it's I'm, I saw this on Twitter and I kind of agree with it that I'm surprised it is not the most controversial movie of this award season. Yeah. Like there's other ones, which again, we won't mention because we've been mentioning them, but Black Klansman, especially in a time when white supremacy keeps coming up in the news because of, you know, current administration or whatnot, it's not controversial, which I'm surprised about. It wasn't even controversial when it did come out. Yeah. I think the only thing that's been brought upon it is Boots Riley's um, comments about it. He had some heavy criticisms for Spike Lee and the film. But yeah, other than that, and there's a lot of love for this film and it's well-deserved. And I think it um, performed well at the box office for what it is. Um, mm -hmm. And it's probably going to be nominated for best picture, hopefully director and screenplay and deserves every bit of it. Yeah. Uh, 48.5 million domestic and about 89 worldwide. Yeah. Off of probably a pretty low budget. So, yeah. Um, who knows what the budget was? I don't see that. But yeah. shout, out, shout out to Kevin for this, man. He did a great job. Yeah. Is he going to listen to this? Hi. I'll tell him. Listen to this. We give you props. Yeah, let him know. He can even skip forward to the end if he wants. But. <laughs> yeah, I'll give him the time marker. Perfect. Awesome. Anything else on Black Klansman? Uh, now available on Blu-ray. Yeah. Added. Oh, yeah, there's another one. Came out in August, which is still later in the year, but still fairly early for... Yeah, I think it got a lot of um, a lot of buzz coming out of Cannes mm -hmm. with the um, winning the award there, the Grand Prix. Mm -hmm. And then that was May, and then by the time it came out in August, I think a lot of people wanted to see why yeah. it happened. And having it come out on August 10th, being the one-year anniversary of the Unite the Right rally, perfect timing. Yep. Very intentional. Okay, so now we can actually say where these films placed on our list. I'm thinking we just start at number 10. Anybody want to go first? I can't. Uh, yeah, go first. Um, my number 10 was blind spotting. I was really happy it cracked the list. Oh, we're doing it like that. Mine was Won't You Be My Neighbor. And Christian's was Mary Poppins Returns. Um, my number nine, I could just say them all as yeah, well. Yeah, just go through the whole thing and then do your honorable mentions. Cool, cool. Um, my number nine was If Beale Street Could Talk. Like I said, I just saw it Thursday night and um, it made it in really happy about that. Number eight was The Favorite, another one that I've seen very recently. That was a pleasant surprise. Number seven was Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. 
Um, number six was Roma. Number five, The Writer. Number four, A Star is Born. Number three, Won't You Be My Neighbor. Neighbor. Number two, Black Klansman. Number one, which I believe may have been the first 2018 movie I saw, was Paddington 2. Lasted me the whole year. Wow. Yeah. Who's next? Oh, KB. sorry. Honor oh. Honorable mentions. Um, yeah, honorable mentions. I think I have at least five or six that I want to call out. Um, Black Panther, like I said, just barely missed out. Mission Impossible Fallout. Um, Great. Probably the best pure action film right. of the year. Yep. Widows was also very close. It was on my list for a long time since I saw it. First Man, the Neil Armstrong biopic was also pretty close. Um, Burning from South Korea, which was really something else. Um, kind of hard to describe. And lastly, You Were Never Really Here, which featured a really good Joaquin Phoenix performance directed by Lynn Ramsey, and she did a really great job. And there are a ton more I could go on and on, but I'm going to stop myself there. Mm -hmm. KB? Uh yeah, I'll go next. Number 10 for me, Will You Be My Neighbor? My favorite documentary of the year. Uh, nine, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Already said, favorite animated feature. Annihilation, my favorite sci-fi of the year. Love, Simon, favorite movie from the first half of the year. Uh, number six, The Star is Born, biggest surprise of the year. Number five, uh, The Favorite. Number four, Black Klansman. Number three, Black Panther. Number two, Roma, and number one, if Beale Street could talk. Honorable mentions, um, I have a bunch of them here. Widows, Sorry to Bother You, First Reformed, Crazy Rich Asians, Quiet Place, Hereditary, Game Night, Paddington 2, Eighth Grade, Pre-Solo, Can You Ever Forgive Me, and for Christian Bale's performance only, I'll say Vice. Still need to see that one. Hmm. It's worth it. Amy Adams is good in it, too. Perfect. Uh, before I get to my list, I just want to give a note that Free Solo is going to be in IMAX. Get out. Yes. Nice. Tell me when. We'll get tickets. We'll go. Uh, it's out this week, actually. It would be nice to see that in IMAX. I really it, enjoyed it. It made me anxious just watching it on a 32-inch so TV. Much. So much. <laughs> okay, so my top 10. Uh, Mary Poppins Returns, again. My, my, it's a very happy list I have. Uh, Jane Fonda in Five Acts is number nine. Black Panther, number eight. Number seven, Black Klansman. Six is Paddington, two. Five is A Star is Born. Go Lady Gaga, go! Number four is If Beale Street Could Talk. Number three is The Favorite. Number two, Blind Spotting, which on this list, I think it was the last one that I watched that made it. And number one, won't you be my neighbor? Honorables. Honorables. Again, folks, check my litter box because I made a top 20, so these are in order. Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, A Quiet Place, which we didn't talk about because nobody put it on the list. We made my honorable mentions. Shoplifters, which nobody talked about, but it is really good foreign film. In fact, I think it's the highest one I have. Mission Impossible Fallout, The Tale, another HBO film, RBG. Shout out. One of my favorite comedies of the year, Game Night. Yes. 
again with the TV stuff, Jesus Christ Superstar live in concert. Don't judge me. That album, that album bangs. Roma, controversial, it's a low. And the Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Really enjoyed that. Yeah, that was good as well. It was. Nobody talked about it, so I will bring it up there. Yeah, like I said, like it's it's such an incredible year. There were so many. I mean, we could probably do a whole show just on honorable mentions. Um, we really enjoyed and go on like we have here. But yeah, that's what we've got. So what's next, people? What are you doing next as far as the next podcast? Well, that's a good question. At some point, I will say we are 10 days out from the Oscar nominations. Um, and they do premiere on February 24th. That's when they're premiere. That's Host, when they're actually given out. Hostless. With no host. Mm -hmm. uh, so we'll probably, I would really like to do some winner predictions when those nominations are announced. Decide what we think is going to win. Maybe throw in what we think should win. See if there are any snubs that we would have included. So be looking out for that Oscar nomination or Oscar winner predictions. When is the Christian Awards coming out? Christian Awards will everything will okay. First of all, folks, if I haven't mentioned this enough, Christian Awards are personal awards that I do with my friends, where we pretty much are the, the critics and vote on stuff. Anyway, so the pre nominations ranked this year are going to be February first and second when they're due, and then I'll announce them the day before the Oscars. So will you announce the winners when we talk about Oscars? Would that be a good time to do it or? No, I do that on my Facebook live probably. Because well, I don't give special privileges to people. <laughs> <laughs> Only I know who wins before anybody else. Those are always fun because they're always like nominees and winners that you don't always see in some of the more mainstream award shows and whatnot. So yep. that was really exciting as well. It's the normal people voting. Yeah, it's people that matter. Uh, <laughs> All righty, anything else before we sign off? This has been interesting. This has been fun. It's been fun. Go check out all the films we talked about. Um, you will not I have, I have a. I have a feeling that if I rewatch something, it's getting re-ranked. Same here. And when I watch Blind Spotting, it sounds like um, I might have to do some shuffling anyway. Yeah. I but you can always find us on Letterbox. True. Yeah, we should post some links to our Letterbox profiles. That's where you can see all the films we've seen this year and go from there. I find that on the Gilded Films website. Perfect. All righty. Well, thank you for listening, and we'll sign off. Bye. Later.